This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Not a great week for the Can You Stop Talking About Manchester United brigade. It's really hard when they keep trying to buy players who absolutely won't make a difference. There's another rich person who wants a piece of them and they play in the game of the weekend against Liverpool on Monday night. As well as looking ahead to the weekend's games, Ben Fisher will no doubt have some zingers to tell us from his first couple of weeks staring at EFL players running around. Finally, we discover a positive of Brexit if you're a West Ham fan or just a fan of teams being unfairly punished. We'll spend a bit of time on Soonesgate. There's a Rohan Ricketts update, some news from the Pharaohs, all that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. on the panel today. Robin Cowan, national treasure, Robin oh, Cowan, welcome. I don't feel like a national treasure, Max, but uh, I, I think I need to post more on my LinkedIn, don't I, to get wow. to that status. <laughs> Listen, Robin, it is A-level results day. It's a great day to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Johnny, Johnny Lou, welcome. Hi. Uh, hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. Listen, we have spoken about Manchester United uh, a bit already this week, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, but Jonathan and Robin, you haven't spoken to us about it. Um, and since yesterday's pod, they've been linked with Christian Pulisic, reportedly had a bid for Jao Felix of 130 million turned down, and an exclusive in the Telegraph. Um, they're targeting Everton goalkeeper Asmir Begovic. It's, Johnny, it's the sort of gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it, it, um, it's like a an endless cycle, I think, of incompetence. I think when... Look, we were probably talking about exactly the same stuff like four or five years ago, uh, you know, under Mourinho or under Van Gaal. And I think the expectation was that by now they would have sorted their shit out. And it's now 2022 and uh, next year it'll be 10 years since Alex Ferguson left. And they still haven't sorted their shit out. They're still making the same mistakes, um, you know, buying late or buying badly, uh, not having a structure. All the, you know, the stuff we've been, we've literally been talking about for so many years um so whether i mean i, I don't know whether it, it is the gift that keeps on giving I, it's becoming a little bit tedious for me talking about Manchester united being terrible um it's i think what what they need to go through is they need to go through a kind of an arsenal phase where they basically lost all hope in life in the universe you, you've got to hit you've got to hit rock bottom like every kind of movie narrative arc tells you that the, the, the hero or the protagonist has to hit rock bottom 
truly like Bruce Willis in the in the bathroom in Die Hard that moment with the broken glass and truly realise they've lost everything and and United quite clearly aren't there yet um, as as is evidenced. Are they the not? I mean, how close how close are they to it? I mean, Begovic is close. It's, it, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Arnautovic was close. Elon Musk. It's, they're there almost, but I think they still have a little bit further to go. Uh, there is no sense that they're going to they're, they're going to turn it round soon. They will. I mean, I think in four in four or five years time, I think they'll turn, you know, turn, you know got their shit together. But um, I, I, I think they're close, but not yet. Robin Barney said on Monday or Wednesday, I forget which Monday. I think that that actually it's not complicated, and they only need to get five competent people. And maybe I should have asked him sort of pressed him on this it, surely it must be quite complicated if they're still sort of just going round and around and and these sort of potential signings it just it, it just reeks of absolute panic you sort of imagine inside Carrington it's just panic just people running around <laughs> yeah. screaming in terror at each, at each other it is that that uh, gif com- from community with the guy with the pizza boxes and everything's on fire who comes in yeah. I mean, yeah, this is the, actually, I wanted to ask Barry or, or Johnny, like, because these, these names are so, I think Jonathan Wilson said yesterday, they're so random and they, we, and what actually happened? Are they just kind of trying to be seen to be trying to do something? We're going to start, you know, because, because obviously the answer is just more players, isn't it? It's not kind of better coaching or, you know, getting a better uh, philosophy or, or harmony within the, within the group. I mean, what, what is this? Is this kind of a, I mean, is it is this kind of with a collaboration with some of the the Manchester United writers from press and things? Because I just don't know because it's not it's not helping their reputation, is it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there are certain areas of the field they need to strengthen. Uh, central midfield being one of them, they need a striker. That much is clear. But the policy certainly seems to be. I've I've said it before. It just you think there's a, a room in Carrington with one wall covered in panini stickers and someone is just throwing darts at it and, okay, get him, try and get him. Because the players they're being linked with are, you know, they're not all similar kinds of players. And then that they're now talking about getting Nazmir Begovic in when Dean Henderson is at Nottingham Forest and played really well for them on Sunday, which is, you know, that that's another example of incompetence i suppose he agitated for a move away and and it was let go but yeah it, it, it's a bin fire isn't it the, the other thing that's happening is that the the agents every single agent in europe is now realizing that they could potentially get earn their client a move to united so if you were if you were on agent uh, like a month ago, you wouldn't you wouldn't have bothered trying to push a story about your client going to United because it just wouldn't it wouldn't take. But now every player on an Arnautovic level, on an Arnautovic, Idiunagalo, Idiunagalo, you know, Begovic level is now potentially a United target. So you know th- these stories are now being pushed all all over Europe and, and being lapped up. And there are loads of them. I mean, if you listed every <laughs> player who's sort of in that bracket, but Begovic is a really lovely man and not a bad servant to goalkeeping in the Premier League but he can't Good podcaster as well yeah and but he's but he doesn't you know sort of play it out from the back expansively you know and, and I guess have they only got Tom Heaton in reserve I mean it sort of seems very similar to to Tom Heaton but I mean maybe they just need some more bodies the Times reporting amongst others 
after sort of Elon Musk pretended he wanted to buy the club, um, n- next uh, rich person, uh, Jim Ratcliffe, uh, wants in on the action. He wants to buy a stake in the club with a view to taking full control of the Glazers' welcome new investment. A spokesman for the Ineos billionaire confirmed he would welcome the chance to talk to the club American, the club's American owners. If the club is for sale, Jim is definitely a potential buyer. Um, our mate Tarek Panja tweeting, Jim Ratcliffe's strategy with United is the same as with Chelsea. Go public at an uncertain time and hope supporters push him over the edge and ratchet pressure on owners. But for that weird Musk business, there'll be, which is not, sort of sounds like a sort of <laughs> the weird smell that went around, the weird Musk business. There will be no Ratcliffe news today. Unfunny tweets sets off chain reaction. Nothing different to 24 hours ago, really. Suddenly the hairs are racing and there's suddenly speculation that the Glazers are either looking to dilute or sale could happen. Funny how the world moves these days. Is it that simple, Barry? Just had Elon Musk not pretended he was going to buy Man United, then Jim Bratcliffe wouldn't really want to buy Man United. Uh, I I don't know is the answer to that question. He already owns Nice. He owns um, the Swiss side, Lausanne. And he owns Ineos Grenadiers, the cycling team. He's very tight with David Brailsford, who runs that particular operation. Uh, he tried to buy Chelsea and, and was unsuccessful in his bid. And it's believed the Glazers are interested in selling a small stake of the club. And he's probably interested in buying it because it enable him to get a foot in the door and be in pole position to take over should they ever leave. But the thing is, I... I can't see why the Glazers would want to leave. It's like a personal cash machine for them. They take big dividends out every year. The fans don't like them, but they don't care about that. I I wouldn't imagine they give two hoots whether the fans like them or not. And they know that such is the loyalty of football fans, that the fans will continue coming to Old Trafford and spending money Uh whether they like the Glazers or not. The only thing I could see possibly shifting them would be a mass boycott, and that's not going to happen because football fans, they talk about it, but these things rarely come off. We saw it at Newcastle when they were trying to get rid of Mike Ashley. They did protest, but they were always fairly half-hearted protests. Same with fans of other clubs. These rarely have any sort of impact. But um, I, I think Jim Radcliffe, probably be a good owner he's not flash he's not interested in publicity Ineos Grenadiers is a very well-run cycling team in in you know he he invests a lot of money in them I don't know about Nice or Lausanne to be honest although I do see Nice have attracted a lot of big name players this summer so if I was a Manchester United fan I'd, I'd really want him on board in any capacity and it all leads to Monday night Robin and we may well talk about it on Monday's pod as well, but it's absolutely fascinating, especially given Liverpool's start as well. It's a fascinating game, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, no, you're right, actually. Yeah, because Liverpool have really started very slowly, although I think the underlying numbers say they should have won both those games. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think people are being a bit insulting to saying, oh, well, if Brentford can do that to them, what can Liverpool do? But actually, you know, Brentford just completely preyed on their weaknesses. Liverpool won't play exactly like that because Brentford went very direct. But um, yeah, goodness me, that is going to be... I mean, I, I, I got to bring up this tweet from a friend of the pod, Tim Stillman, mm-hmm. who said, I just it was so relatable to me, saying, if you were a kid in the 90s that didn't support Manchester United, 
far from being tedious, Johnny. This I cannot get enough of this. Majesty <laughs> Night. I thought I would be bored. I thought I couldn't take any more, but actually, it's just I'm bring it on. That the misery is just it's so delicious to me. <laughs> uh, how do you see Monday going, Johnny? I think Liverpool are, are clearly the better sides. Um, the the I guess the real the real point of issue is what what Ten Hag has been has been doing with his team in the in the nine days between between games you know whether he's he's decided to rip up the the, the blueprint again whether you know Christian Eriksen goes in goal uh I, I, who knows, they're just right? still they're just still running they're just still running <laughs> yeah just just I mean yeah they're, they're still doing laps uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's the, the the main unknown here Liverpool I think we we um you know they, they haven't had a great start to the season the there are slight 2020 21 vibes to them there where they they look knackered from where well, they looked knackered basically from the start of the season and injuries got worse and worse and worse and worse and and, and they ended up in, in, in a real hole I'm not sure it's quite as bad as that but they're certainly not at the level they were last season but there, there is something about this fixture uh this opposition and, and perhaps even you know the stadium that should kind of it will it will awaken something in them there will be a, a collective muscle memory there they they know how to to go to to Manchester and and you know and do the job. So I expect them to do the job. I, I don't expect it to be a thrashing or anything like that, but that, that's probably how I see it going. Producer Joel asks, how many times can you rip up a rule book? I mean, how how many times is it? Have they? I mean, surely he's... I mean, Ten Hag hasn't been there that long to rip it up, but I mean, it's been ripped up so many times. You can only fold a piece of paper seven times, right? You, you can't fold it, a piece of paper. I think paper it is seven. Sense. Wasn't it eight? Or is it seven? It's seven, Yes. If you if if you've done eight, then then please. I mean, like uh, you know, I think I Barry think looks very confused. <laughs> I wasn't aware of this. It's okay. true. You know, you can't yeah. fold a piece of paper. More, like, you can't you can't fold a piece of paper more than seven times because obviously by that point it's one hundred and twenty eight times it's it's regular thickness. One, two. So, I mean, I've shrunk a bigger piece yes. of paper. Three. Yeah, in half in half is crucial for this. Four, five. This is must make for thrilling listening. Okay, that, that's six. There's, there's there's no way I'm getting beyond six. Right. For the benefit yeah. of the listeners, Johnny has just folded a piece of paper six times, and Max is in the process of folding a sheet of paper. So we're saying that Manchester United have got they've just got pieces of paper everywhere. Now, we were worried up. there was yeah we were worried there was nothing to talk about today. <laughs> oh, but I, I I why are we folding when when it's supposed to be ripping up? It's a good point. That's a good point. And is it the rule book he's ripping up or the blueprint? Oh, the blueprint. Oh, I don't know. We've gone down a bit of a yeah. cul-de-sac here. Well, look, well, yeah. It's important to put, to point out it was a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> um, another team with no points is Everton, um, uh, which is a sentence I sort of was pretty sure I would say at some point early this season. Um, they're home to Forest. Sort of, that is... It's not it's not desperate yet, Barry, but it feels like they really need a win, it, like more than just a draw in this game, don't they? And Forest look quite good against West Ham with their million new players. Yeah, uh, Frank Lampard does need a win. Um, the jury remains out on him. Lots of people want him to fail, and the more longer Everton go without winning, the more pressure will ramp up on him. I. I think Everton probably will win this game, if I'm honest, uh, at Goodison. But I, I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, they're rumoured to be after Ben Brereton, 
Diaz, the uh, Chilean. I mean, he plays for Chile from uh, Blackburn Rovers, who have had a pretty good start to the championship season. Um, ben will tell us about that in a bit. Uh, Newcastle Man City is another... Well, it's the clash of our favourite owners, Robin, in, in this game, isn't it? Oh, can you see Newcastle putting up a stiffer test than uh, West Ham and Bournemouth have so far? Yeah, I think so. They they look they look a lot more sturdy. And um, if they have Callum Wilson, you just saw that that goal, was it on the opening day? Yeah. That was really, you, you forget because he's injured so much. He's a really fantastic finisher. Um, I do think that, although... Doesn't I think Barry's brought this up a few times. Does Eddie Howe have a terrible record against Manchester City? Is that right? I think we're, during his Bournemouth days, I think. During his Bournemouth days and uh, he, he, I think, lost 10 out of 10 or something. And then last season, uh, Newcastle lost 4-0 and 5-0 against City. Um, so his, his record against Pep is diabolical. Um, and... <sighs> You you would this struck me as one of the more interesting games of the weekend, but uh it's it's hard to see past City given Newcastle's record. Uh and also Bruno Jimerez, when he signed for them last January, he was just brilliant, like absolutely sensational. But he's been playing as a deep lying midfielder in the opening two games of this season because John Joe Shelby is out injured for possibly a few months and it, he hasn't been playing particularly well I mean it's too early to, to write him off in that position he, but by his own very high standards he, he's been pretty poor so far the season so I I think you, City will probably lose the, or win this game also Eddie Howe for all the good work he did at um, Newcastle in the second half of last season his record against the sort of big six Premier League clubs is very bad, or was very bad last season. Played nine, won one, drew one, lost seven. So I think if Newcastle, you know, a lot of people are suggesting they could step up, infiltrate the big six this season. And if they need, if they're going to do that, they need to start beating them. Sixth be seventh in a race for the Europa League between Leeds and Chelsea, Johnny. Um <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought Chelsea were re- so good on Sunday against Tottenham and, and should be aggrieved that they didn't get three points in that game. Yeah, it was it was a proper tactical masterclass. Although, you know, in, in, in the same way that, you know, we were talking about Liverpool and, and United, I thought it was, it was one of those fixtures that Chelsea are just able to raise themselves for, where they, they kind of, they know how to, to negotiate it. And whether it's a, it's a viable blueprint for, you know whether it's a viable guide of form, I'm not so sure. They still have so many, you know, question marks over you know players coming in, new players, players potentially leaving, four at the back, three at the back. I still, I still don't think they've they've really settled on the kind of the system or, or really kind of the identity that they they want to take on this season. Um, that said, you know, Leeds are, are, are not in are not in their their class at the moment. They they obviously. Went two 0 up and, um, at Southampton, and and conceded uh, two late goals. So there's 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 clearly promise there, but there, there's, there's a brittleness. I think I wrote in this in this kind of Premier League in this Premier League preview that I wrote for the the start of the season that they have they have so much talent and then they have so much energy and they have so much um, 
spirit, you know, team spirit. They're, they're clearly like a, a really close, close knit unit, and, and the fans have, have bought into it. Um, but they they are, they are so brittle, and that's that's partly a, a kind of a, a defensive legacy from from the last couple of seasons under under Bielsa. Um, but also, I mean, you, you just feel like they have a they have an aberration in them. They have an error in them that uh, you know they are liable to to go to pieces at some point. Um, yeah, very happy for them to prove me wrong. But I think Chelsea Chelsea will probably have enough of them. Uh, Robin, every time I look at Arsenal's fixture, I go, oh, that's tricky for Arsenal. I wonder how many wins in a row into the season I will start thinking this is a different Arsenal team. They go to Bournemouth, which is quite a nice fixture, you know, if you can have nice fixtures. Um, but I just sort of, in my mind, I, I remember like a three-all or something where they just completely balls it up a couple of years ago, maybe when, in the odd year that Bournemouth were in the Premier League. Um, but but have you seen a different Arsenal so far? Well, I think you're. I'm on board with you. We need a bigger sample because they were absolutely nailed on for fourth last season, but still, I don't think anyone on this pod <laughs> actually nailed their colours to the mast and said, yeah, they're going to get it because... It's Arsenal, isn't it? Uh, they do look very exciting. I think Jesus and Zinchenko have looked brilliant, really excellent acquisitions. Um, confident that you know they're winners, um, but we'll just have to see. Yeah, this is this is very much a fixture where you could see them kind of just doing something ridiculous. Maybe Xhaka getting sent off. I mean, that's not a big uh, reach, is it? Um, so yeah, we'll have to see. But I mean, yeah, Bournemouth. They had a great win on the opening day against Villa, but they still look a little bit championshipy to me. So we'll have to see. For me, the big fixture is Leicester Southampton. That could oh, be. Oh really? Is that, yeah. Are you doing? Are you doing that one? I'm not. I'm, I'm actually at Brentford Fulham, so the hipsters' oh, right, choice. Okay. So that'll be good. But uh, Leicester Southampton, because both of them have had very dodgy starts. I think just one point between them. There's a if there's a winner, I think. I mean, that could be trouble for one or both managers I think it's a shocking weekend it's a shocking <laughs> set of fixtures to preview I mean like go to the go to the cinema like you know go to go and um you know, go, go to the theatre or something go for a walk you know see, see see a friend you haven't you haven't been in touch with in a while just like you know what are you doing Sunday I think we've done quite a good job of uh, you know <laughs> there is there is the standout on Monday of course there is one occasionally like this like there's like a dead weekend where literally there's not one standout fixture you go this is this is the best league in the world how have they managed it's actually impressive to to get a set of fixtures that isn't that exciting but it could be the most exciting weekend of Premier League football of all time Johnny and that's why that's why we love it yes Yes, that's yes. the spirit. Uh, <laughs> that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, Ben Fisher will join us with the roundup from the Football League. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, Furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, uh, the Guardian's EFL correspondent. Are you the EFL correspondent, Ben Fisher? Have I promoted you or like, what's your official title? I think I'm Midlands correspondent, EFL correspondent. I'm many correspondents, Max. I'm, I'm rolled into wow. one. Jack of all trades. Oh, marvellous. Um, we've got you for uh, the EFL. If you have any Midlands-based gossip, save it until the end of the part. We look forward to it. Blackburn were the only side with a 100% record after three games. John Dahl Thomason doing a great job there until they got hammered by Paul Ince's transfer-embargoed Reading. Yeah, it wasn't a result I saw coming, to be fair. Um, Reading obviously had a pretty miserable start to the season. Blackburn, polar opposite. But yeah, came to a pretty abrupt end. Uh, ben Brereton-Diaz did play. Uh, remains to be seen whether that could be his last appearance. I think the club, spoke to him a few days ago, expected him to you know, receive some interest and some concrete offers. They have now been forthcoming, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Nice, Everton, uh, Bournemouth among those interested. So um, obviously, I'm... how good is, how how good is he? Well, it's weird because obviously since, since he had since he's wore the, as we've said before since he's had Brereton Diaz on the back of his shirt, he's been a totally different player. Obviously, came through at Forest. Blackburn paid I think six seven million for him at quite a young age, nineteen twenty if I'm if I'm correct. So didn't quite happen for him at the beginning, but. Last season, obviously, ripped it up, did really well. Uh, plays on the left of that sort of three behind the main striker usually, but can play anywhere across the three. Um, to me, it, it does seem like a bit of a no-brainer if you are, I think, West Ham or another team in for him. If you are one of those guys to, to just go and make it happen, because I think he's got a year left on his deal, relatively cheap in sort of football terms, um, money probably, probably around 10 million or so. Um, feels pretty sensible transfer, to be fair. Uh, which Blackburn should we sort of believe is is the real Blackburn, the one that won these three games um, or the one that came crashing down to earth last night? <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, at the outset, I didn't fancy them to be right up there. They obviously had a blistering start. Thomason, I think, is, is had a really good record in, in Sweden uh, with Malmo. And, um, you know, he, he, I think it's quite a big job there. They haven't signed loads of players. They've recruited, uh, brought like Callum Britton in from Barnes. It's not been sort of big name players coming in. Still lots of young players at the squad um, promoting from within, which they did so well last year. So I think it would be a big ask to to get them to maintain that kind of, you know, playoff form. But yeah, who knows? He, he's made a good impression. So that defeat means they're just one point clear of Hull and Watford, who both started well. We expected Watford to to be up there. Robert, Robert Edwards is doing well, isn't he? But he, he's already lost one of those strikers to Forest, Emmanuel Dennis has gone there and he might lose the others I guess yeah Jao Pedro and um, obviously Emmanuel Dennis is gone and Ismail Assar is obviously the one who scored that amazing goal the other week uh, I think the expectation is those guys probably will move on it's still quite a mishmash of a squad at Watford but then I suppose when is it not um, really big sort of bloated squad there but they should be up there because they have got you know Tom Cleverley's captain I think Dan Gosling still uh, got quite a senior role there in the dressing room. You know, these kind of players have just been around forever um, and will probably take... The sad reality is they'll probably take them quite close to, you know, the top two, certainly top six. As you say, Rob Edwards had a great, great season with Forest Green and now um, trying to do the business at Watford. But yeah, Hull, owned by the uh, Turkish Simon Cowell, as he uh, has been called in the past. Yes. I mean, it just feels like that goes one of two ways. As you say, they've had a great start, but I'm still probably not convinced. It's a very strange kind of squad they've built but you know they, they've had a good start 
and who is in that squad. I mean, in my mind, Hull is still managed by Phil Brown and <laughs> Ian Ashby is still in central midfield. Well, they've, re- you know, they've with, recruited with, some... With Dean Windass scoring the goals. Yeah, Dean Windass is not there anymore. Uh, they, they've recruited some Turkish internationals, um, players of sort of various pedigree, uh, but I think it's, you know, getting them into the championship is maybe not where perhaps they envisage they would be and certainly probably not at Hull with all due respect. So, um, yeah, let's see how that plays out. Obviously, Aladze is still, still the manager there too. Um, look, we 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 touched on Coventry yesterday. They've only had to, they've only been able to play twice because of their pitch. Can you shed a bit more light on on when they might be able to play again and what, why that has happened? Yeah, so obviously the goalposts have been moved a few times on that, but the hope now is that they're going to play right. At the I mean, they were they were literally moved, weren't they? Because <laughs> yeah. of the rugby. The, the the hope is that they're going to play on the thirty first of this month, so right at the end of the month. As you say, sixty five rugby sevens games uh, gave the pitch quite quite the battering, really. Um, Obviously, it's a bit political because it's Wasps' kind of problem, really, and Coventry have kind of inherited it. Still doesn't quite add up because at the beginning, the very first game that was postponed, Coventry seemed to uh, suggest that they found out on the Friday, two days before the Sunday game, then the game was canned on the Saturday. That just doesn't really add up because surely you have an understanding of where that pitch is two days before the start of the season. In terms of what happens now, I suppose that's the interesting part. I think... um, it's likely, it's not It's not given, but I think it's likely they'll probably get some sort of misconduct charge from the EFL. If that happens, they're probably in for a serious fine, um, according to regulations. I think points deduction feels quite harsh. And also the regulations state that if you can basically prove that it's not in your control, then you're probably going to get a softer punishment. And I think Coventry could probably prove that. But again, that goes to an independent panel. And it's kind of up to them. So it wouldn't be the EFL who would decide that in that case. We talked about whether Simon Jordan was going to buy Coventry City yesterday. And Richard got in touch to say, following on from the topic of Simon Jordan's tangerine peel and the potential impact on the Coventry playing service, I immediately thought of this article I read about the positive impact of orange peel on a patch of barren Costa Rican pasture. And it was an article by Princeton University on the Princeton University website, that in the mid-90s, a thousand truckloads of orange peels and orange pulp were purposefully unloaded onto a barren pasture in a Costa Rican national park. Today, that area is covered in lush, vine-laden forest. A team led by Princeton University researchers surveyed the land 16 years after the orange peels were deposited. They found a 176% increase in above-ground biomass within the three-hectare area studied. So, if Simon Jordan was to buy Coventry and was to leave as much tangerine peel as he left in the talk sports studio when I was doing the afternoon show, not only would the pitch flourish, it could become a jungle. Um, so thank you to Richard for, for giving us that insight. Does, does it have to be orange? I mean, would, would tangerine have the same benefits? Did Princeton look into that at all? Well, I susp- what we need, I guess, is a control of tangerine satsuma Banana. in different areas of... Costa Rica. I don't think banana's <laughs> going to help Robin here. We're in a very much sort of a, a citrus fruit based situation here. Simon Jordan didn't seem to consume bananas while I was doing the afternoon show at Talks. What, John, the answer is I don't know. Um, but it, 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 it seemed relevant. It seemed relevant to me at the time. Um, anything else in the championship before we go on to League One, Ben? Oh, I was just going to point out something quite interesting, I think. After Bristol City well, got their first. You, you say quite interesting, Ben. Well, We've been here before. <laughs> but, but Bristol City got their first league win against Luton in midweek on Tuesday. Um, after which, Nigel Pearson, manager, said he's contemplated walking away from the game and still is, he suggested 
because the standard of refereeing in the game is an all-time low. Um, you know, pretty, uh, pretty hard words. And then it's sort of since emerged that data uh, has come out from the CIES Football Observatory, which sounds like a tourist attraction rather than a sort of data collection mechanism. Um, it shows that Bristol City receive, receive a penalty once every 1,834 minutes, which is by far the lowest in Europe. Wow. Um, by comparison, Man United receive one supposedly every 299 minutes. Blackburn, 564. Preston, 576. So it's pretty damning numbers. I think it's one every 20 games. And numbers, that sorry, that data is from January. And since January, they haven't had a penalty. So the, the numbers are actually even you know, more um, exacerbated. So keep your eyes out for, a, keep your eyes peeled for a penalty at uh, Ashton Gate on, on Sunday when they play Cardiff, perhaps. Yeah, huge pressure on the reference. So Pearson is right. He could legitimately walk away in you, the whole of Europe, when every league in the whole of Europe. I believe so, yeah. Wow. That is, God, that's a job for somebody, isn't it? Uh, in League One, we, we saw this story about um, Barnsley getting rid of their sponsor. They were sponsored by a, um, a crypto company called Hex. Um, and uh, as far as I understand, the well, you may know it better than I do, Ben, so I may just pass over to you uh, what what happened. Yeah, so basically I think um, some social media posts or historic social media posts came to light. They weren't um, too, uh, well, they weren't, they weren't very good. They weren't uh, acceptable. And Barnsley have since uh, revoked their uh, agreement with Hex, the uh, cryptocurrency firm that were on the uh, front of shirt sponsor which i think when they got them on board people weren't exactly jumping up and down anyway because you know i'm not sure football clubs should have cryptocurrency um companies on their shirts in the first place um at the top of league one it's looking very east anglian with ipswich and peterborough uh one and two um ipswich of course managed by um former manager yeah yeah yeah, yeah, he's done really well. Um, they're top, obviously, as you say, Peterborough, Pompey up there. Bolton, also unbeaten. I think they could have a reasonable season. Just looking, I mean, at the other end, uh, Milton Keynes, obviously playoff finalist, uh, playoff semi-finalist, sorry, last season, made a bit of a slow start. But um, just a word for Dean Lewington, who feels like he's been around, well, he has been around forever, 38 now. Um, and he's now on 772 league games, so he's moved into the top 10 uh, of all-time English league appearances. He's in some pretty good company. Have you got the top 10 in front of you? I don't know. I did have a quite look at it this morning, just to remind myself. <sighs> I'm, obviously, Shilton's top, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's broken the 1,000 barrier. There's a couple of names. I'm trying to think who else was around him. Um, David Peter James? Clark, actually. I don't think James was in 700? there. 700? No, maybe not. But, yeah, I mean, Peter Clark actually, who's still playing, he's now at Walsall, who I believe is 40 or 41. He was at Tranmere. He's still playing and he, he's just behind Lewington, I believe. All right. Well, um, that's quite interesting. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, um, no problem. Uh, a huge game for Cambridge at Charlton, who smashed someone 5-1 in midweek when we got hammered 4-1. Um, uh, League Two, Rochdale, the only team in the EFL with naught points. Yeah, pretty grim season ahead for them, I think. Uh, last year was pretty miserable. It just feels like that's going to go one way. It feels a bit like when we had South End, that kind of was destined, like all the off-pitch stuff, it was just destined to end in tears. I th I'm sad to say, I think Rochdale will probably end up the same way, probably being relegated this season. Um, in the top, Stevenage doing really well under Steve Evans, uh, as are Salford. So it'd be interesting if this could be Salford's year. Obviously, they've invested so much 
and I've always had this kind of big expectation, big talk, obviously sack managers pretty quickly. Neil Wood, who was the um, Man United under-23s manager, now in there. And uh, yeah, they've made a good start. So um be uh, interesting if that continues. How do you know so much about like 72 clubs? <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, I don't, I don't know. If, if someone asked me about like Aston Villa, I have to check who their manager is. You know, it's like... Stevie G, how do you... come on, John. That's, I mean, that's... You've asked the Midlands correspondent a real easy one there, John. I don't, I don't, I, what is it? There we go. He just, just batted it away. 73. <laughs> I mean, for, for, like, how, do you, how do you keep tabs on it all? I saw like Dean Ashton doing it on the EFL show. Like he's got, like uh, Hugh was asking him about, oh, you, you know, before we go to Ipswich now, Ipswich, well, okay, what are you doing? Well, you know, he's been like South there. And um, he's, he's got like an answer for everything. It's incredible. How do you do it? I don't know, Jonathan. You've put me on the spot. I, it's not, I don't feel like it's a particularly good skill. I don't know. Do you have, a, do, like, do you have, do you have other interests, Ben? I do have other interests. Yeah. All right. I like art. I think that would be okay. up there, Max. Okay, yeah. good. Well, I mean, where do you want to take this? We could. Be <laughs> well, no, I'm interested. In art. Like, like, could you recommend some artists for the listeners? I don't know. I mean, I'm quite uh, quite basic in my interests. Really, it's quite the the obvious people. Quite like Banksy stuff. Quite predictable in that sense. Like like Neil from Art Attack or. <laughs> <laughs> How basic! I Tony, do love art attacks, T- Tony Hart and Neil Buchanan. That is what? that is quite basic. Like David yeah. Squires. Squires, is oh, yeah. yeah, Squires is brilliant, isn't it? Would you fancy your chances in an EFL quiz against George and Ali from the Not the Top Twenty podcast? I don't know. They they are very uh, very uh, intelligent on the subject. I don't know if I fancy my chances, Barry. What I would say is I appreciate them sharing my piece on Blackburn Rovers yesterday. So. They're very much in favour. And that actually was an interesting piece. It was good. Tell us about it because because it was in the script and I jumped over it. But it is interesting what Blackburn are doing with the community, isn't it? Yeah, Blackburn um, have done some brilliant initiatives over a period of time now. It's not just sort of an overnight thing. Um, they've done lots of different stuff for the South Asian community, which is you know on their doorstep, really a big demographic in the area. Um, I spoke to Dylan Markenday, who's, who's a player of Indian heritage there. Uh, who's attended things like South Asian Emerging Talent ID Day, things like that, where they've tried to just, I don't know, I suppose, I think the key to it is they've opened up the doors and made clear that, you know, people can play football. There is a path where there's access to the game. Uh, Dylan was sort of saying how, you know, guys, young youngsters are so aware of the numbers and 0.0% and how hard it is to get into the game, and even more so for uh, South Asian communities. And yet there is a way through and he's trying to sort of um, show that pathway. The PFA doing some great work and Blackburn, as you say, um, they've done some great things with, they had the Eid prayers on the pitch in May, 4,000 Muslims attended that to mark the end of Ramadan. Just things that basically haven't really been seen in football or been welcomed apparently in football. Blackburn have, have um, kind of ripped that all up and, and made it really inclusive, doing some great work, yeah. I will retweet this article immediately, Ben, and then people, other people may see it. Thanks for your time, mate. Thanks a lot. Cheers, all. Take care. All right, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, we'll round up any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, let's touch on Graham Souness gate, if that is a thing. Johnny said the reaction below the line to the Souness comments was mostly one of defending him which was an awful surprise. Is there any way what he said was acceptable? Andrew says, um, do you think the 
The criticism of Sunes is warranted. I can't believe I'm saying it, but I find I agree with Piers Morgan and Simon Jordan. It was clear what he meant and did not warrant the outrage. Um, I mean, it was awkward, Robin, <laughs> just constantly saying it's a man's game, man, 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 with Karen Carney. <laughs> literally next there him. next God, to <laughs> yeah, Literally right there. I mean, that was my first reaction. My, my reactions were this. One, that looked awkward. And two, I always find it strange, and maybe it's part of the culture wars, that you can't, you know, if I accidentally or whatever, if I upset a whole load of people, my first reaction would just be like, oh, shit, I just didn't, I wasn't, I didn't mean to upset lots of people. I'm sorry I've upset lots of people. Mm. You know, here's here's why I said what I said or whatever, rather than sort of, you can't double, you have to double down now. You can't just be like, ah, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean that. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree that I don't think he meant it in the way to exclude women. He clearly just meant that it was a physical game. I mean, I think as an aside here, slightly weird how he kind of gets off on that. <laughs> he clearly gets yeah. him going, doesn't it? This sort of violent nature. But aside from that, it, it's, it was a really poor use of words and words really do matter, especially in this sort of forum. Um, and I just think he needs to think a bit more about his turn of phrase because that's kind of a pundit's job to kind of find the right words, and it, they really weren't. I've got a shout out to our another friend of the pod, Salon, who bravely, and I would say maybe slightly recklessly, agreed to go on LBC to give her take. I mean, I would wow. never have done that, but fair play to her. To 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 which? I mean, it wasn't GB News or Talk TV, but to which to which person? Because that would make. I think a it was Ian Dale, wouldn't it? It was Ian Dale. Was it Ian Dale? Who was very hostile okay. to her. Obviously, you know. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, but and she's very eloquent as she always is. But you just think, what's the point? Because obviously, then she said, yeah. "Oh, her Twitter mentions are just absolute, you know, a bin God, fire." Yeah. Which is another reason why the language matters. I mean, that is another reason why that the language matters. And and as a, another aside, like the 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 main part of that was someone pulling someone else's hair like that is just <laughs> yeah, not like, that's yeah. a ridiculous part of this being men being men i don't know what you thought johnny it was discourteous you know it's not you know to, to hang them and, and sack them and whatever i mean i think there's a there's a wider case there's a wider point to be made about why uh Zunes is still on the telly given that the, the game that he played is is um you know why we why is this guy who played football in the 1970s why is he still talking about football in the 2020s and and it's you know it's not like he's offering any kind of great insight he's he's more of a, he's kind of a vibes guy you know he, his his job is to kind of offer a, a certain section of the audience the vibes of of old football and and try and maintain this sense of continuity but quite apart from that you know you know it's it's it it did get blown out of proportion a little bit mainly i think by the the backlash to the backlash you know if you look at the right wing press and the right wing um you know radio radio shows you know people have really enthusiastically taken this up uh, as whatever cancel culture wokeness madness you know snowflake climate myth whatever um and, and it, it's 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 not that it's just you know do better because it, even if you've said it inadvertently men's football is not simply a men's game as uh you know, it may, it may be played by men, but you know, clubs are owned by women. Uh, clubs are, are bankrolled by women. There are there are you know women who who work in in backroom staff and who cover and commentate on the game as brilliantly as Robin does. And women pay their money through the turnstiles, and 
fund these players and watch the game. So it's not simply a men's game, even even if you are only referring to men's football in that kind of thinly veiled justification uh, that he tried to offer. Yeah, do better next time. That's that's it, I guess. Interesting, because I think when they were talking about Black Lives Matter, he, he was sort of quite reflective. I think he's kind of quite... I don't know if I necessarily agree that, that people should stop talking about football at a certain age, you know, or, 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 or you know, be a pundit. You know, there's a cut-off of pundits, I guess... You know, there's a case. What he said about actually, what he said about Tyrone Mings was worse. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and his obsession with Paul Pogba was slightly strange. Yeah, that 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 became a slightly cartoonish thing where again he couldn't. He had to double and triple and quadruple and quintuple and sextuple, and I don't even know what the next one is. uh, Down on it. The paper is folded by that time, <laughs> isn't it? I, I um, but you're right. That doubling down thing is. I mean, that's beyond football, isn't it? That is a weird thing where you know politicians can never go. Oh, I was wrong about this. No one can ever go. Oh, I actually, I've changed my mind on this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, um, uh, changing tack. Oh, you wanted to talk about Delhi Ali a bit, Johnny? Oh, it was just a suggestion that we talk about Delhi Ali because because oh, right. you, know, you don't want to talk. Well, about I mean, Delhi he's Ali. he's going to. Uh, it seems quite clear that Frank Lampard, it's been quite clear since the end of last season that Frank Lampard hasn't wanted him at Everton. And, and I think he's he's on the verge or has been offered a move to Besiktas, um, which it, it, it feels like an end. It feels like a, a big step down. It feels like kind of the end of Dele Alli as this, this, this great young phenomenon, this hope almost, um, that that era is over. And and it's, it's categorically over. I'm not sure he's over as a, as a footballer, but it, it, it's sad. Is was all I wanted to to point out. Have you seen that everyone's everyone's posting this thing of Jose Mourinho, you know, from the All or Nothing documentary, saying, you know, basically saying you're going to have regrets if you carry on the way you are. And he, and and everyone's going, oh, we should have listened to Jose Mourinho. I just think that's a little bit simplistic. And look, he's 26. It is not too late to have a great career or a career that he enjoys, whatever that may may be. Jo- Jose was right, though, in that clip. Time flies. You know, he's saying, <laughs> yesterday I was 20 and then suddenly I'm I'm 56. And uh, yeah, yeah if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're just a young whelp, listen to Jose at Time Flies. Paul Watson mentioned that Delhi Alley was on the Rowan Ricketts trajectory. We got some correspondence about Rowan Ricketts. Joe says, uh, um, Moin Moin aus Norddeutschland. I was just listening to the section of this week's pod detailing the varied career of Rohan Ricketts. Feel compelled to tell you that Wilhelmshaven is not in Denmark, as stated, and is in fact on the German German North Sea coast. I what did I say German <laughs> to Steve McLaren. Uh, I moved to Wilhelmshaven last year, and whilst browsing the news agents for things to do, was to was surprised to find that the majority of postcards included pictures of either the commercial port information centre, the train station come shopping mall, or both. Having experienced both, I remained unconvinced of the postcard suitability of either of them, though can confirm that the information centre is worth a visit on a rainy day. I can only hope that Rohan enjoyed his year on the North Sea coast. If nothing else, I'm sure the constant rain, cheap lager and chippy dinners reminded him, as me, of home. Keep up the good work, says Joe. And then we had some messages from Toronto. Uh, T said, Rohan Ricketts actually developed an affinity for the greater Toronto area and returns here in whatever off-season he's in. What his Wikipedia page doesn't mention is all the Sunday league and pickup teams he featured for while he was here. During his stint with Toronto FC, after an ill-advised social media post complaining about playing time, 
Toronto FC supporters would sing Rohan Ricketts' Once More Minutes during any lull in play. And there were many as Toronto FC were quite shit back then. His self-promotion became such a thorn in the side of then-manager Mo Johnson, traitor Mo, who famously played for both Rangers and Celtic, that Mo put up a board with pictures of Rohan from all his appearances titled, Where in the World is Rohan Ricketts? And then Tim said, I remember one match where Rohan and crew rolled up in front to the front of a pub that some Toronto FC supporters were gathering pre-game to sell Big Brother Tells No Lies branded t-shirts. I still have mine. What a roller coaster the Rohan Ricketts journey in Toronto was. Asborne says, historical thing in Faroese football last night after we uh, discussed Greenland uh, on yesterday's pod, 40-year-old former NT captain Atlee Gregerson played together with his son, Arnie Noah Atlasson, 16 years old, in Vikingers 3-1 victory over Scala in Betri Daildin. So uh, there's some news that I don't imagine many other podcasts will deliver to you. I am reminded when we talk of Faroese football that Barry did once ask the head of the Faroe Islands FA if he was dressed as a Viking uh, on the radio. <laughs> feels inappropriate. Um, <laughs> while we're on uh, Scandinavia, um, and probably more importantly than, than what's happening in the Faroe Islands, uh, Danish side Viborg FF uh, play West Ham tonight in the Europa League Conference playoff first leg. Missing two players because of visa issues. Um, Nigerian winger Ibrahim Said and Gambia forward Alassana Jatta will not travel because of entry rules for non-EU citizens following Brexit. Viborg said they'd tried everything. Consulted Danish football leaders, UEFA, embassies in both countries. Um, it's proved impossible. There's a processing time of several weeks. The match was only finally decided a week ago. Um, both of them have scored in two qualifying ties so far this season. Um, I mean, this is this is just appalling, Barry, isn't it? You know, like Brexit is shit. We know it's shit, and now it's just it's not letting footballers in come and doing their jobs. Yeah, it's it's outrageous and. Incredibly unfair on Viborg, uh, and UEFA shouldn't shouldn't allow that to happen. I think if if players aren't able to come into the country where their game is being staged, then it should be played somewhere else where they can go. And if that upsets West Ham, then tough. I mean, West Ham are without. Declan Rice and Aaron Cresswell in this game because I think they're both suspended and David Moyes has got a touchline ban but uh, that's beside the point it, it it is just really unfair we had a similar situation when Arsenal got to the Europa League final in Azerbaijan Baku and Henrik Mkhitaryan couldn't travel because of his Armenian heritage and that wasn't fair either it's the same with um with Zerdan Shakiri when he was at Liverpool, they couldn't they couldn't play in well, he couldn't travel to Belgrade because of uh his I think Kosovan Kosovo Albanian heritage and, and you know, I, mean, I know he's Swiss, but um his, his security couldn't be guaranteed. And we we very rightly condemn these things when they happen. Uh, you know, players essentially being excluded from a country for political reasons. And this is this is exactly the same. It's not incompetence, it's not bureaucratic delays. It is a, a political decision by by the Home Office to make it as hard as possible for people like Nigerians to come to this country. Yeah, there's a really good um, long read on on, um, on on tortoise actually, like a real deep dive. They've spoken to like dozens of people who worked at the Home Office, and um, just the sheer the, the 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 disorder and the cruelty, like the the 
the inculcated like the inness of the what's the word the innate um like cruelty and incompetence but also the competence like the the the, the way things are done very deliberately um to to engender cruelty and going right up to pretty patel um so so uh, yeah it's 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 deliberate that, that's all i'll say the daily mail's headline for this was west ham handed boost of course that was the <laughs> predictably i mean really really david moyes you know if if west ham you know felt the right thing to do would be to let viborg take two west ham players and say you can't play not ones that are suspended or injured to say well if we can't have two of our best, we can select two of yours who can't play, and then it would be a that would be a wonderful that would be like Decanio catching the ball. I don't imagine it will happen. Um, anyway, let's finish on this email, uh, slightly changing tack because it's about violinists uh, from Tom and Jack Greed, who said, "Long time listener, first time caller, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. A bit late to the party here. Wanted to let you know that after hearing your piece on Patrick Bamford and musical credentials, you did in fact have two professional violinists in the third row at City Varieties in Leeds. My brother and I came along to the show and had a great time. We both make a living as freelance violinists. And yes, back in the day, we did both achieve the much-fabled grade seven violin. I hope you got to eight if uh, if it is your profession. We're both big Leeds fans, have of course taken a shine to Patrick Bamford, not only for his musical prowess, but just refreshing to have someone leading the line for our team who doesn't fit the description of a stereotypical footballer. I've reached out to his people in case he fancies getting his violin out and having a refresher lesson. I'm yet to hear back. Um, if you do, uh, we would absolutely love the three of you to play a, a violin a trio version of the Football Weekly theme tune, or anything you like. We must have a cellist among our listenership who could make up the quartet, couldn't we? Well, we need a viola as well, because you've got to, oh, it's right. a quartet. Oh, I thought two... it was three violins. No, no, we'd need to, uh, we'd have to drop. And a, and a double bass, right? You, you, it's, it's violin, cello, viola, double bass. Viola, no, there's, no, there's two violins, Viola and uh, my parents play in string quartets all the time, but I'm still a man of the people, just like to point out. <laughs> dad, dad on the cello, mum on the viola, bringing these two violinists. Happy days. Um, <laughs> and Barter Jim said, <laughs> me banning truffle oil was the most Guardian moment of Football Weekly. Uh, <laughs> well, that lasted about two days. That'll do for today, anyway. Uh, cheers, Robin. Thanks, Max. Cheers, Baz. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian.